This is Zombie Chickens Podcast. We're too big. Too big. I think you're sleep deprived. <laughs> Probably, yeah. <laughs> zombie chickens podcast with two heads are better than one even if they're undead my name is megan and my name is marnay and this is the 14th episode and also uh, with the folklore series that we've been doing for the whole month so this episode we are going to turkey uh, and marnay will start us off okay so my story is the legend of Syracuse, and i want to say I want to apologize for if I do not pronounce these words correctly. Because it's quite difficult. So once upon a time, there was a beautiful girl. She was as beautiful as she was honest, faithful and kind-hearted. Her name was Sarakis and she lived in the village of Kavurmaslar with her father, Silbak Baba. Whoever saw Sarakis would fall head over heels in love with her instantly. They would first ask, then beg her to marry them. But Sarakis would turn all offers down and refuse to get married. One day, her father decided to go on a pilgrimage, and it would take him about three years to get back. Before leaving, Silbach sat his daughter in front of him and gave her advice. My daughter, he said, I will be away from you for a long time. During my absence, promise to live a life that no one will blame you for. Sarakis nodded and promised her father. And just like that, Silbak Baba left for his three-year pilgrimage. During her father's absence, many eligible young men tried and failed to win the affection of Sarakis. This prompted many of them to start false rumors of her lifestyle. Upon Silbak Baba's return, the villagers surrounded him in the village square and told him that Sarakis had become a prostitute. They asked him to kill Sarakis to restore the family honour and to leave the village forever. I just want to stop here with the whole family honour thing. That's big. Um, that side of the world. There's this famous story. Um, not famous, but there's a big story about a family honour killing. Where the whole family killed the daughter mm. because of, of honour. Yeah. Any case, but they basically tortured the girl. I think she was about 17, 18, something like that. Mm. Where they, I think it was a torture for about a week where the whole family killed her. Yeah, I think I've heard of that story as well. I can't remember her name. It's sad. So her father contemplated for days and nights. He knew he had to kill his own daughter to be able to continue living in Kavul Masalar village and if he did not kill her himself the villagers would do it themselves anyway but as a father he did not have the heart to take his own daughter's life so he found a way out he took he took his beloved daughter and a few geese and set out to climb the kaz dagi literally the goose mountain to leave her in the arms of fate he imagined his daughter would perish in peace upon the summit of kaz dagi i don't know what's worth being left Leaving someone in the wilderness for them to defend, fend for themselves or to kill someone. Isn't it just easier to kill someone? Well, no. It's, it's more humane. It's, it's more humane, but it's not easier for a person because 
the person has guilt. It's a selfish mm. region. Is it? It's a selfish mm. region. Jesus, <laughs> it's a selfish reason why they would not want to do it. Yeah. Serakis understood her father's plans, as was just a look she could hear read his heart. Near the end of their journey, she stopped and turned to her father, wishing him a safe journey back to the village. She took the geese and continued to walk up the mountain towards the summit where she disappeared from sight. Years, pa- years passed by and yet Solbak Baba could s- would still cry day and night for his beloved daughter. One day, villagers came to visit Solbak Baba. They told him that merchants and passengers of Edremit claimed to have seen a girl who would lead them and show them the way when they got lost up the mountain. They said she had geese with her. One day, the geese went down the farms and damaged the crops. Upon a villager's request, Sarakis piled pebble stones in her skirt and threw them towards the farms where the, her geese kept descending. The pebble stones turned into a hill. Her father knew this must be his, his beloved daughter. He set out on a journey to find her. The villagers asked, Are you, Have you gone mad? What about the snow, the slippery rocks and the hills? Yet her father was burning inside for the fire of guilt. He went the way in a blink of an eye when he saw a beam of light and carried his fatigue away. The snow, the hills and the slippery rocks disappeared. There she was, Syracuse. She ran to the arms of her father with no complaints. Come, father, I've made you some warm soup. I prepared a bed for you you can sleep on, she said joyfully. They spent the night chatting and laughing. In the morning, her father asked for some water to wash and prayed to God in thanks for for finding his daughter. Upon his request, Syracuse quickly bought a jug full of salty ocean water. Selbach Baba said, the water is too salty to wash with. Syracuse apologized and rotated the jug towards the valleys and the jug filled up with sweet source of water of the cow's ducky in the blink of an eye. Selbach then realized that his daughter was blessed. He told Syracuse that he was sorry for believing the lies of the villagers. Just then, a black cloud covered the entire sky and in a blink of an eye, Syracuse disappeared. As her father had finally realized that she, had, that she was blessed and unlocked a secret, he cursed the villagers for defaming his innocent daughter and separating the father and the daughter. Yet the father was burning inside with a fire of guilt. He went away in the blink of an eye. Yeah, that's my story. Oh, but um, apparently there's two hills that's called um, something Baba and something Shirak. Uh, Sarakis in honor of their names. Okay. Mm, quite interesting. So I don't understand. He disappeared? What happened? She disappeared. She disappeared. She was blessed. And then he cursed the, the, the uh, villagers, villagers for ruining. But why did their she suddenly disappear when she was blessed, when he found out she was blessed? I think it's because she waited to see her father. They don't really. They don't really say. Oh, basically, like she sort of could, wanted could want, be in peace now because he exactly, exactly. They don't knew. really say. In many of the versions that I've read, they didn't really say why she disappeared. Just she. That's just dis- the story. Disappeared, but apparently the story went on. Also, for one of the other stories I've read, mm-hmm. um, it said that she helped. You know, uh, people that walked got lost yeah 
um, helped them and they always saw geese. Yeah. For a long time until she died. That's one of the versions. And then they erected a um, tombstone from pebbles hmm. that was named Mountain of Syracuse. Mm. And then um, when her father died, they, they, they did the same with the, the hill next to it. Mm. And that was the hill of Baba. Okay. But in Turkish. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Still named um, till this day. Yeah. Hmm. Well, my first story is The Boy Who Found Fear at Last. And it's Andrew Lang's fairy books. From Andrew Lang's fairy books. Once upon a time, there lived a woman who had one son whom she loved dearly. The little cottage in which they dwelt was built on the outskirts of a forest and as they had no neighbors the place was very lonely and the boy was kept at home by his mother to bear the comp- her company that's never a good sign <laughs> they were sitting together on a winter's evening when a storm suddenly sprang up and the wind blew the door open the woman st- started and shivered you know get a frightened in a shiver started yeah, some people like to use the word started for, you know, getting getting a fright. Sure. Uh, the woman started and shivered and glanced over her shoulder as if she half expected to see some horrible thing behind her. Go and shut the door, she said hastily to her son. I feel frightened. Frightened? repeated the boy. What does it feel like to be frightened? Well, just frightened, answered the mother. A fear of something, you hardly know what takes hold of you. It must be very odd to feel like that, replied the boy. I will go through the world and seek fear till I find it. And the next morning, before his mother was out of bed, he had left the forest behind him. After walking for some hours, he reached a mountain, which he began to climb. Near the top, in a wild and rocky spot, he came upon a band of fierce robbers, sitting round a fire. The boy, who was cold and tired, was delighted to see the bright flames, so he went up to them and said, Good greeting to you, sirs, and wriggled himself in between the men, till his feet almost touched the burning logs. The robbers stopped drinking and eyed him curiously, and at last the captain spoke. No caravan of armed men would dare to come here, even the very birds shun our camp, and who are you to venture in so boldly? Oh, I have left my mother's house in search of fear. Perhaps you can show it to me. Fear is wherever we are, answered the captain. But where, asked the boy, looking round. I see nothing. Take this pot and some flour and butter and sugar over to the churchyard, which is which lies down there, and bake us a cake for supper, replied the lob- robber. And the boy, who was by this time quite warm, jumped up cheerfully, and slinging the pot over his arm, ran down the hill. When he got to the churchyard, he collected some sticks and made a fire. Then he filled the pot with water from a little stream close by, and mixing the flour and butter and sugar together, he set the cake on to cook. It was not long before it grew crisp and brown, and then the boy lifted it from the pot and placed it on a stone. While he put out the fire, at that moment a hand was stretched from a grave, and a voice said, Is that cake for me? Do you think I'm going to give to the dead the food of the living? replied the boy with a laugh. 
and giving the hand a tap with his spoon and picking up the cake, he went up the mountain side whistling merrily. Well, have you found fear? asked the robbers when he held out the cake to the captain. No, was it there? answered the boy. I saw nothing but a hand which came from a grave and belonged to someone who wanted my cake, but I just rapped the fingers with my spoon and said it was not for him. And then the hand vanished. Oh, how nice the fire is! And he flung himself on his knees before it, and so did not notice the glances of surprise caused by the robbers at each other. There is another chance for you, said one at length. On the other side of the mountain lies a deep pool. Go to that, and perhaps you may meet fear on the way. I hope so indeed, answered the boy, and he set out at once. He soon beheld the waters of the pool gleaming in the moonlight, and as he drew near he saw a tall swing standing just over it, and in the swing a child was seated, weeping bitterly. That is a strange place for a swing, thought the boy, but I wonder what he is crying about. And he was hurrying on towards the child when a maiden ran up and spoke to him. I want to lift my little brother from the swing, cried she, but it is so high above me that I cannot reach. If you will get closer to the edge of the pool and let me mount on your shoulder, I think I can reach him. Willingly, replied the boy, and in an instant the girl had climbed to his shoulders. But instead of lifting the child from the swing, as she could easily have done, she pressed her feet so firmly on each side of the youth's neck that he felt that in another minute he would be choked, or else fall into the water beneath him. So, gathering up all his strength, he gave a mighty heave and threw the girl backwards. As she touched the ground, a bracelet fell from her arm, and this the youth picked up. I may as well keep it as a remembrance of all the queer things that have happened to me since I left home, he said to himself, and turning to look for the child, he saw that, the, that both it and the swing had vanished, and that the first streaks of dawn were in the sky. With the bracelet on his arm, the youth started for a little town, which was situated in the plain on the further side of the mountain, and as hungry and thirsty he entered its principal street, an ogre stopped him. Where did you get that bracelet? asked the ogre. It belongs to me. No, it is mine, replied the boy. It is not. Give it to me at once, or it will be the worse for you, cried the ogre. Let us go before a judge and tell him our stories, said the boy. If you decide in your favour, you shall have it. If in mine, I will keep it. To this the ogre agreed, and the two went together to the great hail, in which the cadi was administering justice. He listened very carefully to what each had to say, and then pronounced his verdict. Neither of the two claimants had proved his right to the bracelet. Therefore, it must remain in the possession of the judge till its fellow was brought before him. When they heard this, the ogre and the boy looked at each other and their eyes said, Where are we going to find the other one? But as they knew there was no use in disputing the decision, they bowed low and left the hall of audience. Wandering be knew not whither, the youth found himself on the seashore, <laughs> on the seashore, at a little distance was a ship which had struck on a hidden rock and was rapidly sinking. While on deck, the crew were gathered with faces white as death, shrieking and wringing their hands. Have you met with fear? shouted the boy. 
and the answer came above the noise of the waves. Oh, help, help, we are drowning. Then the boy flung off his clothes and swam to the ship, where many hands were held out to draw him on board. The ship is tossed hither and thither, and will soon be sucked down, cried the crew again. Death is very near, and we are frightened. Give me a rope, said the boy in reply, and he took it and made it safe round his body at one end, and to the mast at the other, and sprang into the sea. Down he went, down, 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 till at last his feet touched the bottom, and he stood up and looked about him. There, sure enough, a sea maiden with a wicked face was tugging hard at a chain she had fastened to the ship with a grappling iron, and was dragging it bit by bit beneath the waves. Seizing her arms in both ha his hands, he forced her to drop the chain, and the ship above remaining steady, the sailors were able to gently float her back off the rock. Then, taking a rusty knife from a heap of seaweed at his feet, he cut the rope round his waist and fastened the sea maiden firmly to a stone, so that she could not do more in mischief. Bidding her farewell, and bidding her farewell, he swam back to the beach where his clothes were still laying. The youth dressed himself quickly and walked on till he came to a beautiful shady garden filled with flowers and with a clear little stream running through. The day was hot and he was tired, so he entered the gate and seated himself under a clump of bushes covered with sweet-smelling red blossoms and it was not long before he fell asleep. Suddenly, a rush of wings and a cool breeze wakened him and raising his head cautiously, he saw three doves plunging into the stream. They splashed joyfully about and shook themselves, and then dived to the bottom of the deep pool. When they appeared again, there were no longer three doves, but three beautiful damsels, bearing between them a table made of mother pearl. On this, they placed drinking cups fashioned from pink and green shells, and one of the maidens filled a cup from a crystal goblet, and was raising it to her mouth when, she, when her sister stopped her. To whose house do you, do you drink? she asked she. To the youth who prepared the cake, and wrapped my hand with the spoon when I stretched it out of the earth, answered the maiden, and, what never, and was never afraid as other men were. But to whose house do you drink? To the youth on whose shoulders I climbed at the edge of the pool, and who threw me off with such a jerk that I lay unconscious on the ground for hours, replied the second. But you, my sister, added she, turning to the third gold, to whom do you drink? Down in the sea I took hold of a ship and shook it and pulled it till it would soon have been lost, she sa said she, and as she spoke she looked quite different from what she had done with the chain in her hands, seeking to work mischief. But a youth came and freed the ship and bound me to a rock, to his health I drink, and the all three lifted their cups and drank silently. As they put their cups down, the youth appeared before them. Here I am, the youth you've, whose health you have drunk, and now give me the bracelet that matches a jeweled band, which of a surely fell from the arm of one of you. An ogre tried to take it from me, but I would not let him have it, and that he dragged me before the cadi, who kept my bracelet till I could show him its fellow. And I have been wandering hither and thither, thither in search of it, and that is how I found myself in such strange places. Come with us, then, said the maidens, and they led him down a passage into a hall, 
out of which opened many chambers, each one of greater splendor than the last. From a shelf heaped up with gold and jewels, the elder sister took a bracelet, which in every way was exactly like the one which was in the judge's keeping, and fastened it to the youth's arm. Go at once and show this to the cadi, said she, and he will give you the fellow to it. I shall never forget you, answered the youth, but it may be long before we meet again, for I shall never rest till I have founded fear. Then he went his way and won the bracelet from the cadi. After this, he again set forth in his quest for fear of fear. On and on walked the youth, but fear never crossed his path. And one day he entered a large town where all the streets and squares were so full of people he could hardly pass between them. Why are all these crowds gathered together? he asked of a man who stood next to him. The ruler of this country is dead, was the reply, and as he had no children, it is needful to choose a successor. Therefore, each morning one of the sacred pigeons is let loose from the tower yonder, and on whomsoever the birds shall perch, the man is our king. In a few minutes the pigeon will fly, wait and see what happens. Every eye was fixed on the tall tower which stood in the centre of the chief square. And the moment that the sun was seen to stand straight over it, a door was opened and a beautiful pigeon, gleaming with pink and grey, blue and green, came rushing through the air. Onward it flew, onward, onward, till at length it rested on the head of the boy. Then a great shout arose, the king, the king, but as he listened to the cries, a vision swifter than lightning flashed across his brain. He saw himself seated on a throne, spending his life trying and never succeeding to make poor people rich, miserable people happy, bad people good, never doing anything he wished to do, not able to even marry the girl that he loved. No, no, he shrieked, hiding his face in his hands, but the crowds who heard him thought he was overcome by the grandeur that awaited him and paid no heed. Well, to make quite sure, let fly more pigeons, said they. But each pigeon followed where the first had led, and the cries arose louder than ever. The king, the king, and as the man, young man heard, a cold shiver that he knew not the meaning of ran through him. This is fear whom you have so long sought, whispered a voice which seemed to reach his ears alone. And the youth bowed his head as the vision once more flashed before his eyes, and he accepted his doom and made ready to pass his life with fear beside him. Hmm. It it almost sounds a lot like the story of the beetle and the bard, where the youngest of the Percival, Percival, it's not Percival, brothers in Harry Potter, where he gladly walks with death. I, I can't remember. <laughs> But yeah, so it's basically just <laughs> when you have so much responsibilities, then you live with fear. Mm. That's what I feel. <laughs> because he clearly didn't have any responsibilities for that, before that. And then mm. suddenly when he had this... I don't know why, but I was thinking more of a medical sense towards the story. Because you know, you these, it's very rare, but you have people that don't feel any pain yeah because how you have how you have fear if you don't fear pain 
Because I think that's one of the reasons we tend not to do something because you fear the pain. True. But Shannon, I feel sorry for those peeps because they need to have a alarm to remember to go to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Um, go to the doctor if they fall down because they never know if they break something. Yeah, they, because they, you can't feel it. They can't feel it. Damn. Well, mm. that was quite an interesting story. Yeah. A very long, interesting story. <laughs> <laughs> it was interesting nonetheless. Yeah. It was interesting. Okay, so my next one is called the Shamaran. There was a young man whose name was Tam- Tamasp. He was, a, he was tall and handsome. He was a son of a poor family and he worked as a woodcutter. One day, he and his friends were walking around the forest collecting wood when they found a well which was full of honey. They decided to take the honey. Tamasp climbed down the well to recover the honey. But when the honey was gone, his friend left him in the well and went away. When he realized they weren't coming back, he lost all hope until he saw a hole at the bottom of the well. Using his knife, he made a hole big enough to squeeze through and he found a large cavernous space. Exhausted from all his efforts, he fell asleep. I find that weird though. But in any case, when he woke up, he saw thousands of snakes around him. The snakes were looking at him. When they noticed he was moving, they started to approach him. He thought he would be killed by them and then felt so helpless that he closed his eyes and began to pray to God. But nothing happened. Like so many times. <laughs> so he gathered up his courage and opened his eyes. Before him, he saw a beautiful young woman who was half human and half snake. He was so surprised he said nothing, but this exotic creature said, Don't be afraid, we won't hurt you. I am Shah Maran, and I am the queen of the snakes. You are, you are our guest. Now you are with us and must feel safe and you must rest. We will talk tomorrow. And she went away. Tamas thought he was dreaming, but he closed his eyes and fell asleep again. In the morning... Thomas woke up and found himself in a large hall and nearby he saw Shah Maran reclining at the table where a sumptuous breakfast was being laid out. Wearily he joined her at the table, completely captivated by her beauty. He couldn't take his eyes off Shah Maran. They had breakfast together and Shah Maran told him stories about the history of mankind. Thomas was captivated by the stories and entranced by Shah Maran's kindness and care for his comfort long before they had fallen in love with each other. In spite of his happiness, Thomas still felt a sense of emptiness because he missed his family. Shamran didn't want to let him go, but because she loved him so, she allowed him to return to the world above, but she warned him that he must not tell anybody about the subterranean kingdom of the Shamran and the land of the snakes. She also warned him that because he had been with her for so long, he had taken on some of the characteristics of the land of the snakes. She told him not to bath with other people because in contact with water, his skin would take on the appearance of a snake's skin and mankind would know of his secret. Tamas returned to the surface and kept his counsel and kept his promise to Shalmaran. Many years later, the king of the surface world, in which Tamas lived, fell ill and his doctor, doctors told him that the only cure for his illness was to eat the flesh of a Shalmaran. They then told him that the story that there were that there were people in the land who knew about the underworld kingdom 
of the snakes and that the only way to find out who they were was to pour water upon them because water would turn their skin into scales like a snake. In this manner, they would be able to find some, someone who knew the way into Shamaran's kingdom. So the king ordered everyone to go to the public baths and under the eyes of his soldiers to immerse themselves. Damas tried to hide but was found by the soldiers who took him to the town baths and threw him in. As Samaran has, has told him, his skin took the appearance of a snake and the soldiers dragged him from the water, bound him and took him to the king. Under torture he gave up his secret and the soldiers went to the well and entered into the kingdom of the snakes, captured Samaran and took her to the palace of the king. Damas fell full, felt full of shame and remorse when he saw Shamaran. Shamaran then turned to the soldiers and the king and said, As I am about to die, I will give you my secret. Whoever eats my tail will attain wisdom beyond measure and a long life, but whoever eats my head will die. Which upon the ca captain of the king's guard killed Shamaran and then cut her into three pieces. The captain of the guard, wanting to gain wisdom for himself, ate a piece of her tail, while Tamas, distraught with death of Shamaran, consumed part of her head, wanting to die. But nothing happened to him. The captain collapsed and died, as did the king. The truth was that the wisdom of Shamran filled ahead and now was part of Tamasp. However, Tamasp simply couldn't bear the sorrow of losing Shamran, so he left his home and wandered about the country from land to land and from mountain to mountain and become known far and wide as a wise man. But they say the snakes now know Shamran was killed and because of this, snakes became the mortal enemy of man. People, I tell you. <laughs> That's where everything starts. All the problems. With people. <laughs> oh, yes. People. Fuck people. Yeah. That was a very interesting story. My second story is the fish Perry. There was once a fisherman of the name of Mohammed who made a living by catching fish and selling them. One day, being seriously ill and having no hope of recovery, he requested that, after his death, his wife should never reveal to their son that their livelihood had been derived from the sale of fish. The fisherman died and time passed away until the son reached an age when he should begin to think about an occupation. He tried many things, but in none did he succeed. Soon afterwards, his mother also died and the boy found himself alone in the world and destitute, without food or money. One day, he ascended to the lumber room of the house, hoping to find there's something he might be able to sell. During his search, he discovered his father's old fishing net. The sight of it convinced the youth that his father had been a fisherman. So he took the net and went to the sea. A modest success attended his efforts, for he caught two fish, one of which he sold purchasing bread and coal with the money. The remaining fish he cooked over the coal he had bought, and having eaten it, he resolved that he would follow the occupation of a fisherman. It happened one day that he caught a fish so fine that it grieved him either to sell it or to eat it. So he took it home, dug a well, and put the fish therein. He went superless to bed, and being hungry, he got up, early next morning to catch more fish. When he came home in the evening, we may imagine his astonishment at finding that his house had been swept and put in order during his absence. 
Thinking, however, that he owed it to his neighbor's kindness, he prayed for them and called down Allah's blessing upon them. Next morning, he rose as well as usual, cheered himself with a sight of fish in the well, and went to his daily work. On returning in the evening, he found that, that again everything in the house had been made beautifully clean and tidy. After amusing himself for some time by watching the fish, he went to the coffee house where he tried to think who it could be that had put his house in order. His reflective mood was noticed by one of his companions, who asked what he was thinking about. When the youth had told the story, he, his companion inquired where the key was kept and who remained at home during their fisherman's absence. The youth informed him that he carried the key with him and that there was no living creature about except the fish. The, comp the companion then advised him to remain at home next day and watch in secret. The youth... The youth... <laughs> Jesus! <laughs> <laughs> the youth... <laughs> God. The Yorth. <laughs> Sounds German. <laughs> the Yorth. <laughs> the youth accordingly went home and next morning, instead of going out, merely made a pretense of doing so. He opened the door and closed it again, then hid himself in the house. All at once he saw the fish jump out of the well and shake itself, when behold, it became a beautiful maiden. The youth quickly seized the fish's skin, which it had shed, and cast it into the fire. You should not have done that, said the maiden reproving, reprovingly, but as it cannot now be helped, it does not matter. Being thus set free, the maiden consented to become the youth's wife, and preparations were made for the wedding. All who saw the maiden was bewildered by her beauty and said she was worthy to become the bride of a padishah. This news reaching the ears of the Padishah, he ordered her to be brought, brought before him. When he saw her, he fell in love with her instantly and determined to marry her. Therefore, he sent for the youth and said to him, If in forty days you can build me a palace of gold and diamonds in the middle of the sea, I will not deprive you of the gold. But if you fail, I shall take her away. The youth went home very sadly and wept. Why do you weep? asked the maiden. He told her what the Padishah had commanded, but she said cheerfully, Do not weep, we shall manage it. Go to the spot where you caught me as a fish and cast in a stone. An Arab will appear and utter the words, Your command. Tell him that the lady sends her compliments and requests a cushion. He will give you one, take it, and cast it into the sea where the Padishah wishes his palace built, then return home. The youth followed all these instructions, and next day, when they looked towards the place where the cushion had been thrown into the sea, they saw a palace even more beautiful than that the Padishah had described. Rejoicing, they hastened to tell the monarch that his palace was an accomplished fact. Now the Padishah demanded a bridge of crystal. Again, the youth went home and wept. When the maiden heard the cause of his new grief, she said, Go to the Arab as before and ask him for a bolster. When you get it, cast it in the sea before the palace. The youth did as he was counseled, and looking, around, looking round, he saw a beautiful bridge of crystal. 
he went directly to the Padishah and told him that the task was fulfilled. As a third test, the Padishah now demanded that the youth should be prepare such a feast that everyone in the land might eat thereof, and yet something should remain over. The young fisherman went home, and while he was absorbed in, absorbed in thought, the maiden inquired what was the matter. On hearing of the new command, she advised, go to the Arab and ask him for the coffee mill, but take care not to turn it on the way. The youth obtained the coffee mill from the Arab without any difficulty. In bringing it home, he began to quite unconsciously to turn it, and seven or eight plates of food fell out. Picking them up, he proceeded homewards. On the appointed day, everyone in the land in accordance with the Padishah's invitation, repaired to the fisherman's house to take part in the feast. Each guest ate as much as he wanted, and yet in the end, a considerable portion of food remained over. Still obdurate, the Padishah ordered the youth to produce a mule from an egg. The youth described to the maiden his latest task, and she told him to fetch three eggs from the Arab and bring them home without breaking them. He obtained the eggs, but on his way back dropped one and broke it. Out of the eggs sprang a great mule, which after running to and fro finally plunged into the sea and was seen no more. The youth arrived home safely in the two remaining with the two remaining eggs. Where's the third? asked the maiden. It is broken, replied the youth. You ought to have been more careful, said the maiden. But as it is done, it can't be helped. The youth carried the eggs to the parishal and asked permission to mount upon a bench. This being granted, he stood on the bench and threw up the egg. Instantly a mule, mule sprang forth and fell upon the parishal, who sought in vain to flee. The youth rescued the monarch from his danger and the mule then ran away and plunged into the sea. In despair at his inability to find an impossible task for the youth, the parishal now demanded an infant not more than a day old who could both speak and walk. Still undaunted, the maiden counselled the youth to go to the Arab with her compliments and inform him that she wished to see his baby nephew. The youth accordingly summoned the Arab and derived the, delivered the message. The Arab answered, He is but an hour old. His mother may not wish to spare him. However, wait a bit and I will do my best. To be brief, the Arab went away and soon re reappeared with a newly born infant, no sooner did it see the fisherman than it ran up to him and exclaimed, We are going to aunties, are we not? The youth took the child home and immediately it saw the maiden, which the, with the word auntie it embraced her. On this the youth took the child to the padishah. When the child was brought into the presence of the monarch, it stepped up to him, struck him on the face and thus addressed him, how is it possible to build a palace of gold and diamonds in 40 days, to rear, rear a crystal bridge also in the same time, for one man to feed all the people in the land, for a mule to be produced from an egg? At every sentence the child struck him, in the, him a fresh blow, until finally the padishah cried to the youth that he might keep the maiden himself, and if only he would deliver him the terrible infant. The youth then cried, carried the child home. He wedded the maiden, and the rejoicings lasted 40 days and 40 nights. So it's a lot like the um, challenges of Heracles or Hercules. Because Hercules also had to do almost impossible tasks. Yeah. It's quite funny how some of the stories sort of 
into how they sort of flow into one another with different yeah. cultures. But uh, um, I think because um, the Turkish, they have a lot of um, fairy tales and a um, lot, yeah, a lot. So theirs usually take up more of a storytelling aspect rather than like the folklores that we've previously done mm. that were more history based and like moral based mm. these, that, that's, these... A, that's a sort of a, the, the thing about a story a story is supposed to get, teach you something at the end of the story like the folklore yeah it's supposed to you need to learn something from whatever the story is about mm. where with the turkish ones i found very were very fantasy based mm. a lot mm -hmm. and very gruesome mm very gruesome like the uh shamaran um where you know tamas had to was tortured in order to give you know the location of where they were where they were hidden and you know they were she was eight mm. it's quite gruesome can you call that cannibalism the top part <laughs> i don't know never thought of that don't know but yeah uh next week is Scandinavian Scandinavian so we did not choose one specific place in Scandinavia we thought we will do an overall Scandinavian theme to the folklores mm. because there's so many there's so many yes there's so, so many I mean there's Finland there's Norwegian uh and so forth mm. so um we're doing Scan scandinavia next week so be stay tuned for that mm. uh, please follow us on all of our social medias at summer chicken podcast and also um support us on patreon if you can one dollar fifty please yes um that's, that's that that's that okay cheers for years cheers for years